This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. I know you've been saying, Sandy, where have you been this summer? Well, I've been traveling. But when I came back, I'm like, who do I want to put on first? Well, a world traveler. But before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about Chris Donaldson. Chris didn't look like an Aboriginal adolescent. That's funny. As he set off from Belfast on his cafe racing Mata Gucci, but it was the same motivation that drove him to set off on a journey of self-discovery, which we are all about here. But when the Iranian Revolution stopped the planned 10,000-mile motorcycle road trip to Australia, he ends, oh my goodness, he ends high in the Andes 50-odd thousand miles later before returning to Belfast, where he is now. Going the wrong way, a coming-of-age road trip like no other. Chris is now riding to Australia, on this, which he's back from, on the same bike 42 years after his first attempt. Chris, I was so pumped that you were going to be on this show. I was like, where's he going to be? Is he going to be in the middle of his journey? Is he going to be back? So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Great to be here, Sunday. Yeah. So how long have you been back from trip two? Well, trip two has been a stop start event. I've been back about a month and um, but I left about a year and a half ago because when I went away the first time, I was just finished my college student days and I could take, disappear for a year and a half. But now I have a wife, children and a job. So <laughs> those things, right? Those things that everybody has. I hope everybody has. Uh, so what I did, I went away for two or three weeks at a time, and then parked the bike up, and then oh. came home back to work for two or three months, and then went out again to the next leg. So we did about six legs altogether to get to Australia. So it took a while. That was a great way to achieve. You know, sometimes you come against an obstacle which you think oh, I haven't got time to right to Australia obviously it's going to take me three or four months mm -hmm. if you break it up over a year and a half it's possible to do it you know I'm so glad you mentioned that and I'm so glad you did it that way because so many people say well I can never do that now because of the family the kids the job but yeah. you figured out a way to work so before we go into anything more I always ask everyone if you could describe, I usually say, describe the past 30 days in one word. Why would you pick it and why? But I want to say in one word, describe your past trip and why'd you pick that word? Well, I guess it would have to be completion, I suppose, because uh, okay. <laughs> I, did finally, it. I finally finished the journey I started 43 years ago. <laughs> I actually went the right way instead of the wrong way. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. All right. So we're going to dive into some of the questions right off because my peeps were very curious about a lot of things. And one thing they wanted to know how you felt if your wife, I don't know why they asked this, but let's say your wife wanted to go out on her own on the same similar journey. 
without a partner, would you feel good about it? Would you be feeling safe? Is it different? Or do you think, you know, for a male versus a female? You mean, is it, is it safe for safe for a male or a female to do a trip like that? Yeah, by themselves. Um, and how would you feel if your wife said, yeah, I want to go do this? Now, they didn't um, know that you broke it up. They didn't know you broke it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be worried. I mean, it's um, traveling through third world countries is not for the faint-hearted uh, on your own. There's times that you're at risk. You're putting yourself you know, on the firing line, literally for different things. Mm. Um, and without being chauvinistic or anything in any way, I would be more concerned in some of these countries uh, as a yeah. woman as a, than a man, uh, just because these countries are pretty chauvinistic in their attitudes some of them. Um, That's true. Don't like women traveling on their own. They, they just have a, the Middle East and Iran and Pakistan, countries like that. It's, uh, I mean, you can do I know girls have done it and they've, they've had a great reaction. It's just something I would, I suppose, uh, would want my wife to Yeah, caution. Yeah, and I understand. Yeah. I, I get it. So. It's, just, you know, it's been scary enough times for a bloke who's very yeah. uh, streetwise, but uh, yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of, because my husband, who's always like, you'll be fine. He's completely opposite. I went to Thailand for a speaking engagement and I decided on my own, I was going to take a journey and stay there 10 days. And everybody's like, are you sure you don't speak the language? You want to go by yourself? I'm like, yeah. And I said to my husband, are you concerned at all that I'm here by myself? They're like, say, like the people at the conference said, don't go by yourself. Don't go that way. Come with us. You shouldn't be by yourself. Mm -hmm. And my husband's like, she'll be fine. She'll meet great people. <laughs> and I yeah. did, but they were scaring the hell out of me. You know, like yeah, you yeah. should be doing that on your own. But well, I mean, there's one day I was trying to find a hotel in Tehran. I just arrived in Iran, and I couldn't speak a language. Obviously, I couldn't. There's no hotels I could find mm -hmm. because there's not a big tourist industry there, as you can uh, imagine. <laughs> so I stopped in the gas station, asked some guys directions for a hotel, and one of them said, "Follow me." So I followed him in his car. Ended up in this back street and he stopped in this dark night. And I thought, then another car pulled up and these two big burly guys jumped out. And I thought, oh, I've really screwed it this time. If you know, I should know better than to leave myself in this sort of position. I was getting ready to hit the starter. And a guy came over and he said, Oh, I brought my brother because he could speak English. And he was able to, he wanted me to come home with him, but he wanted me to stay the night with them. I said, no, just go, just show me the hotel. And he was able to take me to the hotel. So in case like that, you, you're always, you got your your senses up, but yeah. usually it works out fine. Yeah. Yeah, um, usually. <laughs> That's so such a good so story. But you were, you were scared too. You were getting ready to take it off and here the guy's trying to help you, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. All right. So you though, this time, I don't know if you did it because now that I know you broke up the journey and it took a year and a half, which is incredible that shows people if you want to do something it may not be the same thing you did 42 years ago but there's a way to do it but am i correct that you took with you your buddy liam or only on parts of the journey yeah well liam um as i say it's sort of trips not for faint-hearted we we went to athens from uk to athens first of all um left the bags there and then went to israel to try and um follow that's where i went the first time 
and wanted to try and go from Israel into Jordan and then through Saudi because Saudi Arabia is just opening up to for tourism. Um, but we couldn't get over the border of Iran or Israel and uh, Jordan border was this wouldn't let us through for some reason reason without going into it. Uh, so we had to backtrack to Athens and I think at that, that stage Liam just realized, well, this is just, just leaving Europe. What's it going to be like in these other countries? And decided it wasn't for him. So he came home on his own. Which I was oh, wait, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Uh, He's like, yeah. I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm headed back. Pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, I was a bit paved because it was, his, it was his idea about the whole bloody thing in the first place. <laughs> so, but he didn't know uh, what he was getting himself into because he hadn't. No, right. No, he hadn't been there, but he hadn't been out of Europe much before. So, um, probably should have. Were you like, oh, my more. God? <laughs> well, I'd, I, had to, I had to talk me into it. One of my sort of worries, I guess, was at 65. Now I'm, you know, not as fit as it was when I was 21. And am I safe but on the same motorbike as 45 years old now as well? So uh, I had to have second thoughts and that I really want to finish this trip that I didn't really want to start in the first place. Yeah. He convinced <laughs> you to take it. And now he's like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So oh. he came on home. So that's the best. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then, that was <laughs> well. One of the problems, I guess, at that stage is we couldn't go through um, Jordan and Saudi, which was quite a short journey overland. Yeah, uh, it was about a thousand miles. So I had to go. I, I had to go through Turkey and Iran. So you did. Uh, you went on by yourself. Yeah, you I pick up another me. friend, and call somebody. No, else. I just um, Norman no mates. <laughs> I went on my own, <laughs> which is actually. Uh, by far the best way to travel and if you're doing a journey like this is to go on your own because although the risks are greater and you're on your own it's more difficult um the rewards are much greater as well because you meet much it's more true. many more people and you, you have to get out and do it you know it's much more of a challenge for yourself as well so it's it worked out well in the end i've been falling off and wrecked myself i wouldn't be saying that <laughs> i'll be cursing him up hey, and wait, wait. i have so many questions i know we only have so much time so let's stay there for a minute Liam said, what were you thinking? I didn't think this through. I'm heading home. What did, did you tell your family? And were they like, come home? Or were they like, no, keep going? Well, we did come home at that. So we left, left the bikes in Athens. I left my bike in Athens and he rode his home. So that was another leg, if you like. That was their second yeah. leg. Yeah. Finished. So I came home for three months at that stage. That was last Christmas. Um, just after COVID. A year before that, sorry. It sort of got... COVID has really sort of messed up everything. Is sort of everything. Time is all jumbled up with things. For uh, everyone, yeah. For everybody. But so you know, I was coming home anyway at that stage for three months for Christmas and breaking, breaking yeah. the journey then. And then he decided he wasn't going to go back out again. So I went out on my own in March and continued on. And your family was cool with that? They didn't care? They're like, go for it? Uh, my wife is a bit concerned. Certainly, there was whether I would be up to it. I had to persuade her that it was up to to go with somebody else. So then, when I came home and said, "Well, I think I should do, go on my own," mm. I'm not the sort of guy to be put off things too lightly. Um, she was happy enough. I was able to talk her around. <laughs> she's very accommodating. <laughs> Maybe she just doesn't like me that much. <laughs> yeah, I go on. I like. Enjoy the break. <laughs> you come back, you come back, you know. <laughs> if not, there's other fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, but do you have kids? Are they old? Like you said, you mentioned children. Yeah, the uh, two girls. One's twenty-five at university, and one's fifteen at school. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to get back for them too. But Iran was a difficult decision because Iran was the country that stopped me going to Australia the first time. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously got a bit of an aura about it uh, for most Western countries. In fact, I think it's very difficult for an American or a British citizen to get in, to even to get a visa. Um, I have no one desire. Few, yeah. One of the few good things about living in Northern Ireland is we have an Irish passport and a British passport. So I was oh. able to travel with my Irish passport. But it was still a... Uh, concern obviously going through with all the stories going on for the last 40 odd years um, but ironically of all the countries I was in it was probably the the nicest country to be through to drive through because people are so friendly and happy, so positive and friendly happy to see westerners coming through um, you sort of forget that the average population well, most people in Iran are less than 40, so they, they have no memory of the, the American embassy uh, hostage situation and all the hassle around them. Um, so they, they don't know. That's all stuff their parents did. They have no interest in it. They're just wanting to get out and enjoy life themselves. And they see Westerners coming through as return to normal times, you know. So, um, but they were very hospitable, very generous, very uh, so nice to going. hear. You know, so, so very often the places that you're most concerned about are actually the, the easiest ones, you know? Yeah. So did you journal about this? I mean, I know you, you've written books, but while you're on your way, are you like stopping every night and writing in your journal? I know times nine, I just started writing a book at that stage and trying keeping a note of actually started writing manuscript at one stage um, at that stage. But when I got back, somebody else had written a book. Um, a guy called Ted Sam wrote Jupiter's Travels, which is one of the first stories about riding a motorbike around the world. And he was a journalist. He was an author. He, was, he did a very good job. And I thought I was mm-hmm. a 22-year-old student who couldn't spell without spell checker. Spell checker hadn't been invented then. So uh, I sort of gave up. <laughs> and then three years ago, four years ago, I took my papers out and decided to finish the job and write the write the book, which is going the wrong way. Which is um, love the title. I love it. I love it. It's sort of as I say, it's not just a book; it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah, as well, which is realize it's what I've done a lot of my life, um, the various experiences. Um, so yeah. Uh, it's quite a challenge writing a book. I'm not the sort of guy who would you would have thought could write a book. My teachers at school, if they're still about, would be amazed. But <laughs> <laughs> um, without spell checker, nothing would have been possible. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been, the book went really well, and it's, it's on Amazon selling steady. And to say, Liam said to me, "Well, you never actually got to Australia last time. You ended up in South America." Argentina of all places. Yeah. So that went and have another go. So that's how it all came about. Oh. So Liam is the one is that reminded you that you never really got to go where you wanted to go. Yeah. And so he would do it with you. Yeah. So he decided to come with me. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. <laughs> now I just 
now that everything worked out fine, is Liam sad that he didn't finish it with you? I'm still good to have that conversation over a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I think he will be. Yes, I think he will be. Uh, no, we're still good friends. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. I need to ask you about, well, there's a lot of different pieces of your journey that seem fascinating to me, but I want to know about the yacht race. Yes. They, they hitchhiked with somebody I don't know if you were, it was from Cape Town or something, but somehow you got on a yacht to Europe. Is that true? Or am I making that all up? Yeah. Well, well the problems were, so I left to go to Asia, to go to Australia, and had all my visas and all my guidebooks and maps for crossing the crossing Asia to go to, to India. Um, and then when the, the embassy got taken over in Iran, um, I decided to go to Africa and I had no knowledge about anything, I had no visas, no idea what was ahead of me. Um and in those days you couldn't just Google it. You had to you find some information or somebody'd been there before. So I drove down through Africa without I actually drove off the edge of my map at one stage, coming through Sudan. I had to find somebody coming the other way who had a map that they could give me, we could swap maps so we could know where we were going the next. So it was a bit chaotic. And I got to Cape Town a bit in the middle of apartheid. So it was no tourism going on there. Very few flights in the night, um, but there was a yacht race stopped to, to, re, to get replenished, and the guy hurt his leg, so I got his place on the on the yacht. And it was even like the um, I don't know if you've heard of the Volvo Ocean Race. It's a it's a big international yacht race goes around the world every three or four years, mm. but it's a sort of Formula One of of yacht, yachting. Really, um, it's you know, it's quite prestigious event you have to train for years to get involved and so on uh, but so it was at that stage 40 years ago it was in its this in this infancy so we were able to just land on a, on a boat and i'd done a bit of dinghy sailing and he said where you go uh, so wait a minute you you had to work you weren't just like lying out while they were racing you had to participate I had to participate. I had to learn how to race the yacht, how to sail. So, yeah, I'm fact, you just yacht, like hanging out. Yeah, no, you had to participate. I participated. Wow. Probably the, the actual sailing wasn't a difficult part as much as the fact that I'd been traveling for six months on my own, making all my own decisions, deciding whatever I wanted to do. Whereas in a yacht, you're in a very small, confined space for five weeks with seven other blokes. So it's very, very much a culture <laughs> shock. <laughs> so, so how long was that trip? Like, how long were you on the yacht? Well, that took five weeks to get back from back to Europe from Cape Town because our, our rudder fell off halfway along the, the middle of the, of the Atlantic and we had to stop and get that welded up so we didn't win the race. We, we did get a prize for seamanship because we managed to steer the boat without a rudder for three or four days. Uh-huh. to get back in the port so uh it was quite a adventure as well just thrown in <laughs> an award for determination <laughs> grit <laughs> all right let's back up so it's 1979 and you decide to do this and i know you've been asked a lot why but my people really want to know how did you get so adventurous? How did you get so fearful? 
Like even back then, that was huge to go out mm. and do this. What was it? like? Were you always that way as a kid? Stupid. No, stupid. <laughs> I would like to reframe it as adventurous. You know? Probably a bit of that. Fearless. Well, I know. I mean, I was brought up in Belfast in the seventies, um, which was a pretty uh, dodgy place to be, with the troubles and so on going on. Yeah. My father's business got blown up. It was a furniture shop. And it got blown up certain oh dozens of times. Um. There'd be army in the streets, bombs going. You could see bombs going off from her school windows. So I suppose it was probably a health and safety wasn't the biggest sort of number one thing going on in those days. Um, so it didn't matter where you went. It may be better. <laughs> well, it's one of the reasons I wanted to get out of, Nor get out of Northern oh. Ireland was to see some of the world that wasn't like that and to learn what was going on. Um I don't think I actually thought that at that stage because when you're a kid, you don't know anything before that, and you don't know anything in the future. You've only got what you've what you've been at the first sort of twenty years of your life to go for, um, yeah. and the first fifteen, you're told what to do all the time. I know, so it's only the last you don't have that much experience in the ways of the world. So, uh, but it was an innocent abroad. Um, it was just something I got in my head. It sort of got things in my head, and I want to do it, and I sort of can't help myself but go in that direction you know <laughs> you're stubborn <laughs> stubborn so stupid and stubborn yeah we're getting there <laughs> okay but what about your family what did they think of it were they happy for you were they like you're not going like you're like you can't tell me uh, you know no my mother wasn't happy at all as you can imagine she tried to she said she'd give me a car if I sold a motorbike and things like that um but she, we used to travel a bit around Europe the old time when we were kids uh, with the family, caravan holidays and stuff like that. So they'd probably given us a sense of adventure, which they probably regretted later on, you know. <laughs> but uh, so the world was a different place then too. It was, you know, nowadays you can phone home, you've got a mobile phone, yeah. you can WhatsApp, you can get in touch with anybody, no matter where you are, anytime. But then it was sort of every three months, maybe find a phone box uh, in a post office that we could, we had to pick a phone call and come in. It cost, I remember calling back from Cairo. I think it cost about five pounds, which is probably about 50 quid, $50 for a five minute phone call in those days, you know? So, yeah. And uh, they didn't know where I was for a long time. I don't know if they really cared. <laughs> Stop that. This is part of my wife didn't care. My <laughs> Everybody seems happy when they go away. I don't think so. <laughs> I think they just had to relinquish the fact you were going to go. So now yeah, yeah. what? Right. <laughs> so now what do we do? Okay. So uh, you have so many places that you've been. And I want to highlight just three. What place? I know you mentioned Iran. But what place did brought you the most joy? You were like this. There's no better place to live. I'm moving here. Like this is awesome. Uh, probably Australia. Forty three years later, I have to say, I really enjoyed. Really? That. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the got a great reception, great welcome after all the time, and met a lot of people, and thought it was a wonderful country. Yeah, um, they like to have fun. Australians, they yeah, love to have yeah. fun. 
So that is that was recent. And you're like, oh, I can live here. I could move here. Yeah, and it does make me wonder, you know, obviously so heading to retirement now and emigrating would be a bigger, much different event than if it'd been 21 when I got if I'd got there the first time. I do wonder what way my life would have changed, yeah. would have stayed, you know, if it and you could even dissect that further if it left two or three weeks earlier as I was supposed to. Um, I would have got through Iran before the revolution started and mm. maybe my whole life would have been talking with an Australian accent instead of a Northern Ireland <laughs> accent now, you know? Hanging out with kangaroos. <laughs> well, I have friends that just moved there last month yeah. from California, one group of friends, and another one was from Ontario, Canada, and they love it. Yeah. They, they love it. No, it's a wonderful country and nice lifestyle. And as you say, the people are always good fun anyway as well. Yeah. Yeah, they're fun. Okay. Where were you? Like, mm, yeah, I got to just fly on through here. I don't like this area. For the people um probably colombia in the 80s oh flew into median from panama in a little dc6 and was one of the most nervous even coming from belfast it was a very i mean pablo escobar obviously was at his heightened at that stage sort of early 80s and median was where all the, the center ground zero of the the cocaine world but of course, I had no idea of anything like that because Netflix wasn't on in those days. <laughs> so uh, history lessons hadn't started. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but it was a, uh, just knew there was a, there was such an atmosphere of distrust, and every corner there was a guy with a gun. I couldn't wait to get out of that country. Of course, I believe now it's a wonderful place to travel. Okay. It's really beautiful, nice people, all the rest of it. So things can change. Yeah. So is that? Would that be your scariest trip then, that you were really scared? Um, no, I was probably most of the way down Africa, to be honest. Um, mm. Sudan, Uganda, uh, Zambia. Got arrested a few times and picked up. Um, Four. Just been a white guy on a motorbike, I guess, most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> Looking like you have money, you know. <laughs> Let's see. He looks suspicious. Yes. yes. <laughs> You're not here for the weather. You know, what are you doing here? Yeah. And how'd you get out? I mean, how long did they keep you? Oh, just a few hours generally. Um, um, no, the Sudan wasn't just the um, constabulary, the, the army and so on. It was also the, the roads were very tough as much as sometimes there wasn't any roads. And mm. without getting into motorbikes, my motorbike was designed for traveling on fast Italian motorways, not for dirt roads and deserts. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was tricky from a mechanical point of view. And, um, you know, sometimes you'd only cover 10 or 20 miles in a day's driving because the roads are so bad. Um, the heat, the. Yeah. Yeah. Hard, hard yeah. <laughs> so. I'm thinking, you know, you're by yourself on the first trip, right? There was no Liam backing out. There was no anybody, right? You just wanted to go by yourself. Yeah. And your friends at the time, did anybody want to come with you or did they think you're a whack job? Um, I probably thought it was a whack job because most of my friends haven't um, 
done anything much like that since. Um, and for, for whenever you come home from a trip like that, people ask you, how do you get on? What have you been doing? Where did you go? sort of questions you're asking. But it is difficult to, um, I can understand more now, it's difficult to comprehend what a journey like that is for if you haven't actually done it. Yeah. yeah. Because you imagine it's like a long holiday or it's like a work trip or whatever, but it is because it's so far away from anything that most people have done in their lives. Not saying good or bad about that, just it's, it's so far away of what you know. It's easy to say, why would you want to do it? Yeah, it's hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. So far, I can totally, totally understand why you did it. I can, and I've not gone that long, but I think about it when my son is leaving for college in August and I'll be an empty nester. My husband's like, are you going to just leave me and go around the world and talk to people? I go, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) but maybe I'll do it in jolts. Like I'll go, okay, I'll just find a place. I want to do a speaking engagement, stay there a month and come back. Right. That way, by podcast anyway. <laughs> Interview people in person. Oh my god, yeah. that that would be awesome. So, do you speak any other languages? Um, yes. I learned French in school very badly. Uh, oh. As I learned Spanish? French in school very badly, but I did get. But uh, I entered Mexico with I think Dos Cerveza was the most I could say. But by the time I got to Argentina, I could. Um, handle a few words in, in Spanish yeah. okay but it yeah. was a bit of a Africa wasn't so bad because well the countries are ex-British colonies English is quite well, widely spoken there but obviously South America Central America not okay. so much but that was a bit of a baptism of fire languages you know I guess because I I'm not very good at language <laughs> just, boy, uh, I can't hear the dialect like I just it's just not my thing so I, yeah. Now you don't have to worry about it. You know what I did? I just pushed it on my phone and it translates for you now. Well, you could Google Translate. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's so much easier, but it still does makes it a difficult conversation too if you're, you know, having to Google Translate every time. But it's getting it's amazing what AI yeah. has done. Better than nothing, though. Okay. So on this trip, not back in the 1979, what was the scariest thing for you? Um, I don't have Liam too many scary... Poor Liam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't have too many scary trips. Well, I've just got more, uh, more used to crazy things happening. But um... So there wasn't any time that you were scared? Like, oh, I don't know if I'm getting out of this one. Well, I did have trouble getting out of Iran, but um, that was more to do with paperwork. The first yeah. first border I couldn't get across because they wouldn't take a motor, let a motorbike cross, and then I went to the next border crossing, and they said you can't get across because they won't take members of the public across. They only take vehicles, commercial. <laughs> so at this stage, I was starting to think Liam was right. Iran was hard for some others again, third time lucky, but uh, <laughs> no. I think of planned things. I knew what was going on, and it is. It's a lot easier to travel now than it was forty years ago. We've got, as I say, so much information now. Your fingertips. You're never really out of touch. Yeah, you're right. Not everywhere. A lot different. Uh, the world is a lot smaller. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that. You're right. 
because you could just pick up your cell phone and say, yeah, my bike broke down. Like I'm here. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you're still going to have trouble getting out, um, customs, all sorts of different places, but yeah, it's, it's well less scary than it was when you're stuck somewhere. Nobody knows where you are. If you did disappear, well, they wouldn't know where to start looking for you anyway, you know. But again, but you it's... said they wouldn't miss you, right? So what is that? <laughs> <Yeah. matter? laughs> Who cares? Maybe your kids would. All right. So <laughs> I have some questions from my foodies. Do you first of uh, all, do you love food? Are you a foodie? Because you yeah. went to so many different countries. Don't say you just eat meat and potatoes. <laughs> Fish well, and chips, that's it. <laughs> food's just never been a huge. I'm from, from Ireland, so I'm more of a drinker than a, than a food eater, you know. <laughs> so you didn't care about all the different foods? Because I would love to try all these foods in so many countries. Like, I would just want to eat whatever they had. Well, a lot of these countries, you're a good idea. You think of the Indians. Well, America has great Indian restaurants, but in the UK we do. And you go to India, you think, well, I'm going to have really good Indian food. It's like the UK only better. But actually the food they eat, which over there is sort of made of potato, potatoes. <laughs> they don't oh. generally have the same sort of quality of meats, quality of foods that we would have in the West. Um, it's very often Indian food. I don't think I had a good Indian meal in India. Uh, you get a better meal. Hey, whoa, whoa. You didn't have a good Indian meal. <laughs> you get a better better Indian food in Birmingham. and, and Yeah, in, in Philadelphia. Oh, they, yeah. By the way, we do have great Indian food. The other problem is very often, you know, you're. It's sad. You're traveling in a uh, first time the way I was traveling very, very poor means. I was away for a year and a half and only banked for going away for three months. So I was sort of living on the breadline, literally. Uh, this time with a bit more money, but still living in sort of not dodgy hotels, but three star hotels without the sort of. Youth hostels, well, the kids. Youth hostels, yeah, not, not quite youth hostels, hostels, but the next steps up. So you weren't getting huge culinary feasts in front of you. In fact, it seemed to be, when you can't speak the language, you get a menu down in front of you, no idea what you're going to get. Uh, I would use the only thing that common, the only sort of common knowledge, common meal was uh, chicken kebab half the time. So I ended up at chicken kebab more nights than I want to remember ever. (laughs) But... uh, no, it's not a great trip for food. If you want to take good food, could take a cruise ship or something like that. Don't I'm stopped now. <laughs> don't go on a motorbike. I've <laughs> never been on a cruise ship in my life. Have you? No. I have no intention of it either. <laughs> I don't think it's my thing. I don't know. I, I like to go when I want to go. You know, too many people. Yeah. I I, I get you. I'm going to say it just blew my mind that you didn't have great Indian food in India. Like it's making me sad, you know, but I don't think that's true because there are places like I remember when I was in Thailand, I got great street food and it was the best food I ever ate for like a dollar 50, you know, so you don't eat you don't eat street food in India. Okay. (laughs) Or drink the one. I got it. Yeah. There's a term called deli belly, which we, I don't know what the American yeah. phrase of all that is, but uh, and are, I do want to go to India, but are there, is it really like, are there so many parts of it that's just really sad? Like makes you sad? It's a fascinating country. Um, 
I mean, it was, I think there was last week, there was a, they just launched a space rocket to go to the moon. But yeah, it's, you're driving down the freeway, you're driving down the roads, and there's plastic tents beside the road, plastic. Yeah. yeah. There's underneath the bridges, just thousands of people living from day to day, living in the streets. I mean, you get that everywhere to an extent, but um, the poverty in, England, in India is quite uh, not just widespread, but very much accepted. That um, oh, okay. that's part of the, they have a, um, a type, type of person that's they just live in the streets. So it's a, it's it's a part of their society that that's where yeah, they get part on. of the culture you know? just accepted that yeah. that's just how they get by. So there's, yeah. And did you are people constantly coming up to you and asking for money, or they don't do that? In India, they did that quite a bit. I didn't have much trouble with that anywhere else. But in India, as I say, there's just so many people. Yeah. Everywhere you stop, you know, the country is very. India was a bit disappointed actually at the start of it because it wasn't wasn't the India that I expected with those thatched cottages and um, mm. sort of um, the rural sort of thing you'd imagine. But uh, it's just a lot of concrete buildings, a lot of high rises going up in the cities, um, but a lot of poverty and a lot of uh, dirt and um, yeah things you don't want to see as well. But there again, there's parts of it are, are beautiful, fantastic, uh, old world. And you didn't get sick eating the food, right? Because I have so many friends that got sick. I got sick as soon as I crossed the border. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if they even need to eat the food. I just had to breathe the air. <laughs> Han's been sick the whole time. I'm giving Andy a hard time here, which he shouldn't be because I really enjoyed it. But it did it across the board. No, I, you didn't give him a hard time. I, I called the Indian dad. If you want to lose weight, go to India. God. All right. So, you know where I want to go this year? I want to go to Dubai. You went to Dubai, right? Yeah. Well, I lived in Dubai for years until years ago just came back um after the property crash in the uk i sort of found myself without any work and without any job and it was a, a legal case to take up against the bank for screwing me over so i went out to dubai and lived there for seven or eight years i did not and know how old were you when you did that 50 52 50 something like that okay um were you with your family, or did you go alone for eight years? Yeah, no, we took a family out, and uh, ironically, one of the things I learned when I was traveling first time and I was learning how to sail came in handy because the uh, the rents in Dubai are horrendous. It's like New York or London, so I actually was able to buy a boat, buy a yacht, and live in that for six, oh. six years um, for the price oh. of two years' rent of an average flat. And then I was able to sell the boat again at the end of the whenever we left. So, um, just the first journey taught me a lot of things so from a practical point of view and also from independence and um, mentally. But uh, learning how to sail was something I was able to use. Yeah. And live in a boat. So, I have a lot of uh, 
business acquaintances, female over in Dubai. And so they want me to come over and do a speaking gig and they love it over there. They said, it's really great for women in business. They've done very well over yeah, there. Yeah, no, it's a great place for business. They've uh, really opened it up and designed the city as a business hub. And I've taken a lot of business out of Africa and out of the rest of the Middle East because the rest of the Middle East, those countries are so chaotic mm. and there's no the laws, you know, the laws who you know, not what you know, or no, whereas they've set rules and regulations. Um, so it's a great hub for business. Yeah. So why did you decide to come back then and not stay there on your boat? Um, my daughter was wanting to go back to school here. And I suppose I got a chief eight, seven year itch. I've uh, been there for seven years. really enjoyed it. Had a great time. But it was time to go on, move on again. Yeah. So you mentioned you, you come back for your family and your job. What do you do full time for a living? Well, um, I've done a number of jobs over the years, but I was my main was corporate job was um, in property, which fell apart during the property crash here. Um, the bank um, basically stole my business, closed my business down. So spent four or five years litigating, self-litigating against them and eventually got the properties uh-huh. back. So I thought I'd better come back and I'd, I'd fallen into say the disrepair. So another reason was to come back and get the business started again here. But gotcha. I've done different things. I've uh, run a, a fitness franchise, a ladies' fitness franchise for a number of years. Uh, did sold mobile apps in Dubai. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. So you, you run a... You still have it or no longer? No, no longer. It was until about 10 years ago as well. Um, but I've always been involved in selling something, selling well, selling property, selling business, selling yeah. fitness, selling um selling myself, whatever it's <laughs> if you can sell, you know, if you can sell one thing, you can sell anything really. You should be yeah. able to, you know. Yeah. I didn't know you were in the fitness. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know this. I owned health clubs my whole life over here. Yeah. I just yeah. I didn't know you were like in the fitness business. Well, ladies fitness business. Now, wait, was you said it was in Dubai or? No, in- it was in the UK. Uh, it's called Ladies Workout Express. I don't know if they're still growing in the States or not. It was a bit like Curves was the big name on it. Oh, yeah, I remember Curves. Yeah. I don't know if they're still going, are they? I don't know. Not my cup they, of tea, but yeah. Fad at one stage, everybody wanted it. So yeah, yeah. with about 21 franchisees in the UK and Ireland. And then uh, whenever the property crash hit, uh, a lot of people canceled their memberships and so on. Oh. Um, for the gym memberships, things get tight. Gym memberships, something that people have to, they rather give up that to give up going to the pub every, every weekend, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so how do they work out now? Like, do there are the gyms going strong? Well, those are franchises, so we just... Uh, Sold off the franchisees. Yeah, I yeah but I mean, like, like right now over there, do people are like, are they really into working? Out? Yeah, yeah, gyms are really bounced back. Ladies' gyms die to death. I don't think there's any of them going anymore. But fitness is a big, big industry now. Mm. Um, they're still doing well. Fitness first. Um, don't know how, how many American gyms there are over here, but certainly fitness yeah. is bigger, as big as ever again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. People are into health. I, the only reason I asked because right before COVID, I got brought over to uh, 
I guess it was in Dublin to do, they were doing a health and wellness fair. And it seemed like everyone there was into working out. But the funny part is I go in, I do my workshop, I come out, I think, okay, now we're going to have lunch. It's going to be really healthy. And they're all just going to the bars to drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the, that's the uh, balanced lifestyle that we have over here. They said it's a balanced life, Sandy. It's a balanced Work out. <laughs> yeah. you, you go to the gym and then it means you can go out for good night out without having a bad conscience about it, you know? No, then you go for your, it was it was really funny. All right, so what are you going to do now? Are you going to, do you already plan on your next check or is that it? Now, like, okay, I did what I needed to do. I'm good. I'm going to keep writing books. I don't know around my stories, really. It was, I hadn't realized at the time, but it was a, and uh, coming of age, whatever you want to say, coming of age trip, learning it was the start of my end of my education, start of my working life. And mm-hmm. as, as just as it's happened, uh, you know, now I'm 65, so I'm looking to uh, I never, never don't think I ever want to retire as such because I think once you stop using your brain, you using your mouth, since if you stop using your body, it just falls away, you know. I so agree. I want to keep working to some extent, even if financially and for for mental health um but one of the reasons i suppose i realized that i wanted to do this trip was a lot of friends are retiring and they maybe had corporate jobs and running their own business and the next day they're sort of looking after their garden and going playing golf twice a week which to me is uh not what you spent 40 years working for you know so it was one of the challenge myself to see if I could still do what I did when I was 21. Yeah, yeah. Um, doing it on the same motorbike was a bit ridiculous, I understand now, but I just wanted to make the challenge a little bit more difficult. Um, but um, it's, uh, the, bike's, the bike's still in Melbourne in Australia, so I'll have to go. I'd like to go out in Australia again soon and perhaps take it around the state, across the states, and finally take it around the world after okay. all the time. Trying to get make the complete the complete the circle sort of thing. So you're not done. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> so once you get once you get started, friend, it's hard to I'm stop. I'm not getting. I'm just getting started. I'm not getting off the stage yet. I said, okay, there you go. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Chris. This has been great. I'm so glad you shared with the Let's Keep It Real people. But before we go. Tell us where they can find you. Where can they buy your book? Can they follow your travels? They want to know everything. Yeah. Well, my website's chrisdonaldson.world. Um, buy the book there and see what, are, what I'm up to. But the best place to probably buy the book is the company we love and hate is Amazon. Okay. Comes taking over the world. So it's an audio book. It's an uh, Kindle. It's on paperback, hardback. And I'm on Facebook as well, Chris Donaldson. You'll find me okay. there somewhere. All right. Is there anything you want to tell the people that we didn't get in today, Chris? I think we covered it. There's lots of things I could say, but um, I think we covered the gist of it. I suppose if anything just to say, just if you're the age I am, I know you're 65-ish, just keep, don't, uh, don't stop trying, don't stop thinking of something different to do. I think okay. yeah. it's the best advice I can give anybody these days. No, I, I think that's true. Right. You don't have to just and you can figure out a different way to do it. It may not be the same way. You might not be going on the same bike or you may be, 
but you can still have fun too with it. Exactly. I, th I think that's we're, the best advice. We're not done yet. Yeah, you're not done yet for sure. All right, my let's keep it real people. Chris and I would really appreciate you sharing, liking it and rating it. I promise you I'll put this on all platforms. You can watch it wherever you want. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.